Write That Down. I'm your host, Justin Nipper. I'm editor at FightGameMedia.com, staff writer at F4W Online and WrestlingObserver.com. I am back with my co-host, Japanese Wrestling's leading author, leading historian, leading sociologist, leading broadcast journalist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Okay, today is the final episode of our Legacy Showcase on Giant Baba, the fourth part in our series. Today, Fumi and I focused on Giant Baba as a full-on All Japan promoter, especially in the late 80s, into the early 90s, into the entire decade of the 90s to the end, towards right before he passed away. Um, we also spent time talking about the promotional strategies he employed. We talked about how he and Antonio Noki to an extent, they, how they used sports media, Tokyo Sports and other wrestling magazines they use those sports press outlets to decide how they're going to book a lot, a lot, a lot of pro wrestling that we saw during that time wasn't based on uh, stories and angles that were presented on television. A lot were carried out through the press, through the printed press. That's why Fumi always likes to say how uh, the Japanese wrestling fan base was very reading oriented. We talk a lot about that at the beginning. We also talked about his booking style, Baba's creative decisions, decisions to move wrestlers like Genichiro Tenru up the ladder, Misawa, Kobashi, and we talked about the importance of the timing and Baba's ability to recognize when the right time to pull the trigger is. We talked about the creation of the Triple Crown uh, and how that needed to be important after the break with NWA. Um, there's a lot to digest in this final episode, so please take your time. Enjoy the ride. I can't think of any other English language resource out there that's covered this era of All Japan in such official detail. Official detail, that's what I'm saying. There's nothing that's out there that's quite like it. So once again, let's thank Fumi-san for letting us sit under his learning tree for another few hours. All right, if you haven't subscribed to the Fight Game Media Network free feed already please do so now if you're listening on spotify or listening on apple downcast stitcher wherever you download your shows please hit the subscribe button in the app on the app wherever it is it does help the show out a ton it helps fight game media network out a ton too all right just one second じゃあ、もしもよろしかったら、Spotify、Apple、Stitcher、Downcast などのご利用のプラットフォームでファイトゲームメディアネットワークをご登録いただけると助かります。ありがとうございます。本当にありがとうございます。Okay, also I have a book out right now. New Japan Strong Match Guide, Stronger Than All. It documents every episode from the beginning of the show in 2020 until the end, this past December 2021. It's available on Kindle now. If you have Kindle Unlimited, the subscription service, you can read it on that if you have that as well. That's that. Next week kicks off our journey into the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling, Women's Pro Wrestling in Japan from the beginning and onwards. 
details coming next week. Be on the lookout. Make sure you're subscribed so you get the next episode in your feed as soon as it goes up. Otherwise, enough of me. Let's start the episode, our final episode, on one of the most important figures in Japanese sports history and Showa-era history in Japan, the once and future king of the Royal Road, Giant Baba. Giant Baba and how he handled the business. And he, there was some change in philosophy that uh, he, Giant Baba, started opening up all Japan for like newcomers from outside, outside meaning like from different com- you know, companies, you know, during 90s, um, like a UWFI, UWF International's top American, Gary Albright, if you remember. Mm-hmm. He's, he, 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 you know, just as soon as UWFI, closed down the shop that uh, Gary Albright wanted to do, of course, but the Gary, you know, Gary was signed by All Japan Pro Wrestling. And also right after, the, uh, right around the same time, uh, Baba wanted to hire, uh, you know, to sign, sign, you know, Yoshihiro Takayama, mm-hmm. you know, and traditional pro wrestling style. And Takayama wanted to learn that, you know. And uh, or people like Hayabusa from FMW, uh, Jinsei Shinzaki from Michinoku Pro Wrestling, they were put, put together as tag team in New Japan Ring, I mean, Old Japan Ring, and Hayabusa and Shinzaki came in as tag team, and they participated in a real tag team, um, uh, real world tag team tournament, and also won Asian tag team titles within Old Japan, you know, frame. And a lot of the, yeah, so he, outside talent started coming in, and uh, yeah, he allowed the door, you know, uh, to open the door for something new. Anyhow, that uh, difference, yeah. Let's re- re- rewind the tape a little bit um, because what, what's interesting how they, uh, how both Inoki and Jan Baba as a promoter and producer and top star at the time, they used the media. Um, yeah, that uh, baseball magazines, you know, pro wrestling magazine, weekly pro wrestling magazine, and also Nippon sports publications, Gang and weekly Gang magazines. And more importantly, for those in, in wrestling business, the Tokyo sports play a big role because they come out every afternoon, every day. And you can pick up, you know, pick up Tokyo sports at the, any train stations and subway station around the country, right? Mm-hmm. Were you, w- when you're in Japan, the people still, were they still reading Tokyo sports? They were selling it. You Not- always see it at like a 7-Eleven or Family Mart, but yeah, people. Not on train stations? Not as much, not as much. It was right. Oh, like okay, a... okay. Yeah, today's you know culture. I'm talking about 2022. Okay, mm-hmm. when you get on the trains or subways, nobody's reading that sports paper or the evening, evening edition of paper or even the regular magazine for that matter. That nobody's reading physical paper material, right? Only older men. Everybody. Oh, not even that. The older not people. Even today, are... Yeah. Not today. The older people are looking at their iPhone or tabloid or or you call it uh, a tablet or what's popular here, Android, mm-hmm. a, a smartphone in general. They are looking through phone instead of for holding a newspaper or evening paper. And the argument can be made that the, is Tokyo Sports really newspaper, or that they look like newspaper, but it's basically tabloid magazine. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like like the, the New York Post or something. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. You could often see did... the wrestling. Well, more these days, if you do see it, it's usually towards the back back pages. Right. Right. And in in 80s all, all the way to 90s, that that uh, Tokyo Sports was a like a pro pro wrestling newspaper. You know, mm-hmm. that comes out every day, every evening, and. Uh, I think the wrestling company had this mentality that they're like the daily advertising and uh, telling storylines in a newspaper form. And uh, back to this Tokyo sports, the argument should be made that the, is it newspaper or is it uh, a tabloid looking like newspaper, you know, those papers. And uh, argument is that, yes, um, they are technically part of newspaper association, so they should be classified or categorized as newspaper. Then again, Tokyo sports carry adult content and uh, like a gamble, you know, like uh, horse racing pages in the middle and a uh, uh, lot of iffy advertising in, 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 in within that you know, paper, right? Some sexy so, content, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, adult content in it. And also like a Loch Ness Monster and UFOs and whatnot, sure. you know? National Enquirer type, uh, type of thing. So conspiracy. Uh, the, oh, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it. Yeah, or the what do you call it? That the unknown uh, creatures. Mm, <laughs> you yeah, know? Like um, like yeah. uh, like old legends you or ma- something. Yeah, yeah, or like uh, your Bigfoot or Loch Ness, uh, the ETAs or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, supernatural. You bending your spoon or something. <laughs> Stuff sure, like that. sure, telepathy yeah. and such, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that, that kind of content would appear on Tokyo Sports, you know. So uh, some people never consider that as newspaper, newspaper. Sure. But nonetheless, Tokyo Sports is very popular, okay? And that comes out every afternoon, every day, you know, almost. Well, Sunday they don't come out, but the, six days a week they come out every evening. It has a lot, a lot, a lot of wrestling in it, you know, on it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And what's on Tokyo sports is pretty important for wrestling community. Okay. That's what I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was uh, kind the, of, the, um, instead of TV, like we had over here in the States, people would be reading things like Tokyo sports and other. Yeah. The Japanese people are <clears throat> basically more reading oriented. Mm-hmm. And also Tokyo's news on wrestling news on Tokyo sports come sometimes before TV, you know? Right. Right. Because Tokyo sports was daily. Yeah, and then the, the title, the Giant Baba Hardy Race title match won't be aired until this coming Saturday or something, right? Sure. Mm. Yeah, so the results on it. Uh, there was a couple, you know, like a physical evidence that uh, how Baba used Tokyo Sports back in 1978, uh, June 1st, to be exact. There was Antonio Inoki against Bob Backlund, first meeting. Bob Backlund's WWF title against Inoki's NWF title, double title match. Their first, these two's first ever meeting at the Nippon Budokan. It sounds like a big match, right? Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about uh, it a month or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. The very same day, very same day, Jan Baba, the old Japan pro wrestling, was having a, a house show, but the title match way up in Akita. You mm-hmm. know, like in, up north, like Akita. I was very far uh, from Tokyo. Yeah, but the very same day though, Jan champion, you know, champion Jan Baba against almost underdog challenger Kira Tor Kamata. Okay, 
Mm-hmm. Baba decided to drop the belt that day, that night. I see. Therefore, so... yeah, the Baba was holding PWF title for all, over five year period or something, and then all of a sudden, that the not so big but the very surprising challenger Kira Kamata beats Giant Baba to become PWF heavyweight champion way up in Akita. What would Tokyo Sports have to do? You almost have to open a few pages for that news. Mm. Still in the spot. Very next, sort of, yeah, sort of. That uh, otherwise, that the half the <laughs> Tokyo sports coverage was like a photo spread of Nippon Budokan, Antonio Inoki against Bob Backlund, double title match, this, that, you know, just filled with that news, right? Mm. And, but the, by Baba dropping the PWF title that night, the same night, way up in Akita, but you still discovered that uh, you have half the space. Mm. Interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. It really dictated yeah. who would be uh, paying attention to what over the weekend. Yeah, because it was like in like in 1981, the, the uh, very big, um, oh no, it was, I, I believe it was 82 then. Um, April, uh, the, the, not this Ryogoku Sumo Palace, but uh, Kuramai, the one, the one before that, okay? Mm-hmm. April, uh, April 16, the same day, okay? Inoki was hold, you know, having this, you know, holding this a big show at the Kuramai Sumo Palace. That the NWA heavyweight title, title match champion Inoki against Stan Hansen, okay? And that was the, the very last title match of NWF. Inoki defends the title and wins it and then and, and, uh, and keep the title, okay? Then relinquish the title and, and, and uh, in order to start the big project called International Wrestling Grand Prix. I, now, today's IWGP, anyhow, that uh, relinquish every existing heavyweight title in, in order to create undisputed that the best in the world, the biggest thing of the, in, in the wrestling world, International Wrestling Grand Prix project that starts, that Stan Hansen relinquished his cowboy hat, you know, and Inoki win the title, you know, defends the title, but he relinquished the NWF title so that, so, IWGP project will be created. And it's the same night, original Satoru Sayama Tiger Mask debuts beating Dynamite Kid. It's a big show, right? Very big. Yeah. Very, very same night in Hukuoka, Baba beats Brody to win the Champion Carnival final. Hmm. Tokyo Sports has to share just the same amount of pages. The very next day, or yeah, that the Tiger Mask news and uh, Inoki winning and uh, the defending NWF title against the Hanson, but the relinquished title and the uh, IWGP project starts. That that news would be much much bigger, huh? So would would this always be coming from all Japan side or Baba's side? Would they be reacting to 
New Japan's and Inoki strategies, or would it be vice versa? Or uh, it goes both ways yeah, because okay. it goes both ways because the previous year or oh, that year alone, that eighty-one, Inoki's New Japan steals Abdullah the Butcher from All Japan. Right. Then following month, okay, Jan Baba steals Tiger Jeet Singh, you know, from New Japan. So it was a rivalry. I, but I think New Japan hit him first. <laughs> Usually. I see. I see. You know what I'm saying? Who mm-hmm. starts the fight, right? Right, right. Yeah. Right. So uh Baba, you know, of course, you you're not supposed to notice these things at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that the uh, Inoki's big, big show at the Sumo Palace, you know, Inoki and Stance and big yeah, of course, you know. But the very same night, way down in Fukuoka, that the cha- that year's champion carnival final is being held. And uh Tokyo and Fukuoka, yeah, you know, it's not really competing in live, you know, audience, you know, crowd, but they're competing in the space of a magazine. Mm-hmm. And we didn't notice that at the time. Yeah, both, you know, both companies, both news are on, on Tokyo Sports, right? Mm-hmm. And Baba beating Brody while Inoki's beating Stan Hansen. That's what's interesting. It was almost a race to... Uh to get to a bigger story Who, who's going to have the bigger story first? And, and a space in tokyo sports the next day huh right yeah and depending how yeah. big the story is that's how many pages yeah. you get that's how much pr so it was get. not just about sometimes uh the, the reason i'm talking about tokyo sports was that it was not always just old japan against new japan baba against Inoki in coverage but baba seemingly or baba's people uh did this on purpose in november of 1989, when in Maeda's version of UWF at the Tokyo Dome show for the first time and the only time, you cost you know, you cosmos, mm-hmm. yeah, famous the very big off show, yeah, yeah, the famous Tokyo Dome. Every single match was like a you know, wrestler against amateur wrestler or the Russian wrestler or the kickboxer or like what you call today MMA, like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Shoot fight. And the, yeah, yeah. And uh, Maeda's, you know, uh, and Takada, Fujiwara, Yamazaki, everybody was, uh, was, was in it that year. And uh, everybody was still together before the breakup to UWFI and Pancras and Fujiwara Gumi and Rings and all these things. This UWF was uh, the second version of UWF was uh, the core, the, the most popular one. And they held Tokyo Dome show in November 29th of 1989. The very same night, way up in Sapporo. Okay. Way up in Sapporo. All Japan was having this one of the biggest show. Not the biggest, but the, one of the big, bigger show during the real tag team tournament, tag team championship tournament thing. And Tenru pinned Jan Baba for the first time. Big news. Is there? Yeah, there are only two Japanese wrestlers um, who pinned Jan Baba one to three in the middle of the ring. Not single match, usually tag team match, but still, Giant Baba wouldn't be pinned. Much like Inoki rarely got pinned, and uh, in modern in history, Riki Choshu was the, about the only Japanese wrestler who pinned um, Anton Inoki you know, with clothesline, one, two, three, no interference, no excuse kind of finish. And uh, yeah, Ricky Chosh was the only one. 
and Tenru becomes very first Japanese wrestler to pin Giant Baba one to three with his power bomb. Tag team situations, you know that you know it, it should be Tenru Ashurahara against Baba and Stan probably. Yeah, or Baba and Dory Funk Jr. probably. Uh, tag team situation, but that was a night Tenru become very first Japanese wrestler to pin Giant Baba one two three, and uh, very next day at the you know on Tokyo sports coverage, you have a lot of you know UWF Tokyo Dome U Cosmos show, but big spread the turning page. Yes, Tenru pinning Giant Baba. It has to be big news. So they um. Yes, seem to use Tokyo sports as a like a vehicle of like a, not just a coverage, but uh, what's important in wrestling, you know, community. Yeah, amount of coverage and uh, yeah, so like a stealing the space in, in within a newspaper. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. By creating yeah. the the better angle, the bigger program. Yeah, because they could have done this any other day, right? Sure, but they choose to. Have that day to have Tenru pinning Giant Baba for the first time and mm-hmm. becoming very first Japanese wrestler to pin Giant Baba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a, they had to make a big deal there. So a lot of things like this happen, but the, uh, you would notice it, like you think it was all coincidence. coincidence. There is no coincidence in wrestling. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It was well designed, you know, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah, so uh, Baba was, you know, was another one that uh, who, 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 you know, probably one. Jumbo and Baba was the only two Japanese wrestlers who pinned Brody, you know, at the time. And uh, it was very interesting. The early 80s was where New Japan and Old Japan, therefore Inoki and Jan Baba competed the most because they were both active in the ring and the promoter. And you know they were carrying, you know, carried by network television. Oh, they, you know, they did all the way to nineties, but uh, in a better time slot. In '79, Baba lost the prime time. You know that uh, in April of '79, I remember that the All Japan Pro Wrestling uh, they, they changed the time slot from Saturday night eight o'clock to five thirty in the afternoon on Saturday. Mm. You know. And uh, <laughs> I was I was actually like in high school, and it's like a Saturday afternoon, five o'clock. I won't be home, you know. <laughs> I was saying, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was like a, and and one hour show became a thirty minute show. It's like five thirty to six on Saturday night. I'll never be home, you know. And uh, so that was you know because TV time, you know, uh, industries really. Um, well, of course, cutthroat, but uh, just as soon as this rating, you know, declining or the not having big advertiser or some any, any little thing like a TV, like a very TV, you know, value thing that they they change change their time slot. You know, you're not good enough to be on prime time and go go to Saturday afternoon. It's like, oh, wow, but still on network. But that's hard to get, right? Mm. And in 1979, people didn't have VCR yet. Right. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a few decline, you know. And that the, I think the biggest challenge in the promoter Jan Baba faced was that 
we talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago that Ricky Choshu and 15 of his guys migrated from New Japan to Old Japan and worked 85 and 86, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then spring of 87, all the Ricky Choshu's guys again went back to New Japan and made Old Japan crew almost skeleton, huh? You know? And the Yoshiaki Yatsu and Kilokan, well, soon, soon to be retired, but were about the only you know wrestlers that you know stayed with Old Japan. But what Baba did was to turn Genichiro Tenru heel for the first time and went up against Jumbo Tsura. That created very serious top single match card you know program. Remember? Mm. That elevate, yeah. And that really elevated Tenru as a single main event guy too. Because when when Jumbo and Tenru were a tag team, Kakuryu, you know, Jumbo Tsuru and Genichiro Tenru as a tag team, clearly Jumbo was a guy and Tenru was number two, huh? Mm-hmm. That's what it much like Jan Yeah, much like Giant Baba and Antonio Noki combination decade back. When Giant Baba and Antonio Noki were tag team together. Yeah, clearly, Giant Baba was like a Bob, and Anthony Noki was number two and rather underdog. That made him popular, of course. But uh, kind of same, you know, same scenario that Jumbo, when Jumbo and Tenru were together, Jumbo, yes, bigger and bigger and bigger and better, right? But when when they turned Tenru, that really made him number one in American term heel, of course. But, uh, you know, Japanese storyline has to be a little bit more realistic, huh? And uh, Ten, Tenru made a statement that uh, the reason, you know, that the, the reason he wanted to go against the company and establishment was that, that the, the all Japan wrestling is, is, is not popular because of the style. They don't believe you. They don't believe in our style. And uh, they... That's when he started using the severe tenru chop, you know, that uh, the backhand, you know, yeah, like Ric Flair in Oahu McDaniels, but uh, he made it into finish, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, because his backhand chop, tenru chop, is so serious looking that you just can't help but believe it. Mm-hmm. And also that uh, much like Ricky Choshu's statement decade back that Ricky, when Ricky Choshu challenged the company, Inoki and Fujinami, he was you know, going against company and establishment, like, like a, your anti-hero, right? And, and basically heel, but people love that kind of guy. Mm, kind of like an yeah. anti-hero. Anti-hero, yeah. And, but the, the, he made, he changed the style of All Japan Pro Wrestling and that the, all of a sudden, all Japan pro wrestling style is so serious. But mm. what didn't, you know, what what people didn't calculate was that Jumbo is so big and strong that he could stand and take it. You know what I'm saying? He right. was tough too. Jum- he, and they all had uh, yeah, actually, believable backgrounds <laughs> too. The sumo, uh-huh. uh, amateur wrestling. And uh, amateur Olympic wrestling. And also that, uh, yeah, come to think of it, Jumbo... Since the rookie year, he was the one, you know, having an important single match against every single American superstars, from mm-hmm. the Funks to Jack Briscoe to 
race to Billy Robinson to, you know, you name Funks. it. Yeah, that, right. Jumbo was young and was kind of under Giant Baba's wing at all time. But he, yes, uh, held on his own. And he's tall, strong, big, and just is so, I mean, as a wrestler, a great worker. It's almost so perfect. That was why he wasn't that popular. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's too yeah. perfect. I guess so. Yeah, but the, that, that the Tenru, turn, his partner, Tenru turning on Jumbo and challenging him for a single match, that made Jumbo human too. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so these two... You know, Jumbo against Tenru single match became all of a sudden so interesting. You know, Bobby, Bob, promoter, producer, Baba didn't even calculate that far. You know, and Tenru, the underdog and uh, like a heelish, but the cool guy in doing the cool match, not fancy moves, but bunch of you know slaps and in Tenru chops, backhand chop that you know you bleed bleed from your chest. And simple power bomb for the finish. You know, you don't need too many moves to convince the audience that this is just devastating, strong type style match. And now that uh, Ricky Choshu and his guys are gone, then then all of a sudden, wow, they got all kinds of fresh matchups. They divided all Japan Japanese crew into two factions, Tenru's group and Jumbo's group. Oh, mm-hmm. traditionally babyface and heels from you know if you if you look at it in from America yeah right they divided Japanese you know all Japan Japanese crew into babyface Japanese and heel Japanese yeah right but uh, if you present uh, the the program in serious manner yeah it's not your traditional babyface and heels it was but but the, right Tenru this is and we called it Tenru Revolution. And it was really believable. Okay. They did they did real you know believable things because they they changed their you know that the top and bottom tracksuit into all Japan one and the Tenru groups one and they were in a, a completely different dressing room. They were traveling in completely different buses and hotels. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Made it very believable. Two factions in one company. But they don't travel together. They are not staying in the same hotel, and uh, they are not in the same dressing room. And they were wearing, to be obvious, you know, different color tracksuit, top and bottom. So it's obvious that the which guys in which group. And uh, yeah, it was a very interesting time. That uh, people almost forgot all, that the 15 guys in, in the Choshu's group were gone. But they created a lot, you know, giant Baba to create that this very fresh, very fresh, you know, that the, the the card and the matchup, and he, he, this guy was not the promising prospect at the beginning at all, but he will be superstar. I'm talking about Kenta Kobashi makes his debut in February of '88 in the middle of this program. Red tights, red knee pad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very young. Being really tall, really tall, and actually, you know. It's hard to believe in hindsight, but uh, he didn't make a couple auditions until he made it, you know? Mm-hmm. It was Mrs. Baba who read his, you know, bio and high school 
you know, like uh, your, you know, athletic resumes. Uh, that uh, he right, he didn't make national championship in any sports or anything like that. And he was right out of you know high school. He was a you know com- uh, the factory worker at the Kyocera, and uh, he was lifting weight. But uh, he, Mrs. Baba, looking at this bio, that uh, but this guy has no, I mean. That uh, athletic background. Of course, everybody plays some sport in high school, and but uh, if you look at Kobashi, you know you would know. But uh, he didn't make a couple of auditions, or he didn't make the the, the resume. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And uh, this 18-year-old Kobashi made a phone call to the office. You know, they wanted to know that the why he wasn't even allowed to have the live audition. He flunked on the, on the bio paper you know and he didn't understand so he called the office and somebody told him you have no athletic background and he called and then so he spent next year lifting weight you know i mean he was tall enough right really tall for japanese but uh, he was skinny so he next year while he was still working you know in factory of kyocera in kyoto that he lifted the weight you know and he made the you know weightlifting club in the factory he was working and uh, and went in another audition, and this time that the, he was called to come into the, the spot show we call it, you know, like you know the house shows, like way in the middle of no, I mean, like a small town that they run like uh, during the week. Mm, rec but, center, uh, no dark lighting, <laughs> something like that, or big parking lot right next to the shopping mall or something. Sure. Or next to the pool yeah, or yeah. something. Of course, of course. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. That uh, he was call, you know, called to come into that, you know, come into this show on that day. Like that little town you've never heard of, right? And that was a test that uh, if we show up, you know, and uh, you don't even know how to get there. You know, this is before Google. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Small, take that train. And uh, take bus after the train, and you know you'll find the town and come to the show, right? And but uh, they made him do that. Then Kobashi found the building and showed up at the small house show, spot show, you know. Then uh, just as soon as John Baba himself saw him, he signed. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, looking at him as a, as a face, that the height, that the body he already had. And uh, this just and just the uh, enthusiasm that they they didn't think he'll show up at the smallest town. You know, if he comes in, they'll let him in. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Kobashi yeah, had a lot of natural charisma. Yeah, yeah, underdog kind of charisma, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and uh, grew up in very poor part of town in Kyoto, kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. self-made man. Oh, pretty much so from the day one, yeah. And he was made into, you know, Baba's corner guy, you know, like carry Baba's, you know, suitcase and go go into, you know, Japanese hot tub and wash Baba's back and all these things. You know, Kobashi was doing that. You know, I don't know if we talked about it too much on our last show, but before Kobashi, uh, Atsushi Onita was was that kind of figure for Baba for a while in the 80s. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, although, yeah, from like a mid seventies into early eighties, but he was a little guy actually, you know. But mm-hmm. today's standard, Onita isn't all that small because we have a lot of small wrestlers now. Sure, but sure. In, 
in Baba's standard, Onita was so short, you know? Right. You talk about Baba, the Jumbo Tsura, the old American wrestlers, the, you know, Tenru was considered not that tall. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. So Onita was like, you are, you know, like designed to be a junior heavyweight guy, you know? Hmm. But uh, Onita, in his mind, that, uh, you know, even the uh, early days, that uh, I'll be main event someday. I mean, that mm-hmm. kind of guy, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be in the middle of the card, you know? No, but somewhat, somehow, Onita, you know, Atsushi Onita will become main event. In Baba's, you know, world, probably wouldn't have happened, huh? You know? Baba favored the bigger guys. He always liked the uh, the bigger, a little stocky, over 6'4", it seemed like. Sure. That, that could also but move. But that's what wrestling business was. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a heavyweight business at the time, especially back then. Yeah, definitely. And also, what he saw in America, like 62, 63, 64, all the people he worked, you know, up against Killer Kowalski, the Bobo Brazil, the Bruno San Martino, yeah, uh, all these huge guys. Yeah. So the wrestling business was for <laughs> literally larger than life guys, huh? Mm-hmm. For giants. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And also in, in late uh, late seventies into a very early eighties, Onita hurt his both knees. You know, he was forced to retire. I mean, mm-hmm. he broke both knees, you know, and uh, that was it for him. Yeah. Right, but the, the, it's, it's a legend, it's a myth, but the, uh, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Baba not, not having any children, that they were going to adopt Atsushi Onita as their you know, adopted son. Wow. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah, very, very much yeah. so. And also, you know, the Dory and Terry Funk were like their family, and even after Onita retired for the first time, that uh, he went on his own to Amarillo to stay with Terry Funk for months, mm. you know? Yeah, stay in his house, you know? Probably Baba told him to retire, but in, in Onita's mind, he was going to make comeback somewhat, somehow, huh? Mm. Some and way. Some way. And when, when went out to Amarillo, Texas to stay with Terry Funk, of course, Terry Funk was the one doing that, <laughs> right? Yeah, how yeah, how many times? Well, the first time Terry Funk retired, that was in 1983. Summer of 83 was a huge deal. It made comeback, you know, a couple of years later. I mean, a couple years later. But the, yeah, Onita did the same thing. How many times Onita have retired? Seven? You know? Is it seven or yeah, something like that? Seven or eight. Well, technically, he's retired now, but he's working the match now. Does he you still know, say so, that he's a volunteer wrestler or something? I don't know. The, those are all comments. Like it's like now we know it's all wrestling storyline, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's gonna ever retire for you know for real. And uh, as long as the, the people who wants to see his Bob Dwyer time bomb electrified that uh, this and this bomb match uh, the, the death match that he will do it. In fact, he's in the states right now. That's right. Yeah. yeah, he's going to be at one of the uh, WrestleCon or WrestleMania week. Appearance. Yeah, and then also have work a match in Texas, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they're a generation, I mean, younger than he is, that he wants to touch the legend in the ring physically, that, that they'll prepare the death match in America, and Onita will fly in and do the, you know, your historical death match with you. Yeah. 
he's become uh, something, uh, another layer of a cult, uh, cult character, a cult persona over here. It's sure, different. sure. Different. And he's what, 65, 66? Something, something like that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's uh, Baba's, one of those Baba's wrestling cho- children. Mm-hmm. Not the traditional, authentic one. Nonetheless, yeah, uh, Onita still is Bob, you know, like a Baba, fam- Baba family, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, Odo, King's Road, right? And if there wasn't King's Road, Odo, there is no Jado, which is Onita, you know, mm-hmm. out of the way, you know? The, yeah. the evil way, the way or off the path. Thesis and antithesis. Mm. Yeah, so uh, doing the uh, com- complete opposite thing, but I think the Onita wouldn't have existed without Jan Baba's traditional wrestling. Mm. But it, it comes back to that theme that we talked about when we talk about Inoki, when we talk about Baba, the idea of establishment versus anti-establishment. I think that theme Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but those are against each other. But uh, what I'm talking about, Onita is still within. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And what was interesting was that in 1989, PWF, Pacific Wrestling Federation title, International Heavyweight title, UN. United National Heavyweight title, all three single title combined becomes Triple Crown, right? That was April 1989, the very last uh, beginning of Heisei era. Jumbo beats, then international champion Jumbo beats, then PWF and UN champion Stan Hansen, therefore combined a three title in one. And, uh, that was the year that only, you know, I said, you know, April of 1989, right? That Triple Crown was, you know, created. And only two months later, Tenru beats Jumbo at Budokan. And it was the first time Tenru beats Jumbo one, two, three in the middle of the ring to be the Triple Crown champion. It takes a while for Giant Baba's operation to switch titles and make main event guy. You know? That, uh, if you remember, the only crisis the promoter Giant Baba had was that the Tenru Jumbo program was so strong, so strong, like 87, 88, 89. Yeah, very strong three-year run. Jumbo against Tenru, Jumbo against Tenru, or the Jumbo and his guys against Tenru and his guys, you know, mm-hmm. tag team situation. But it was very strong three-year program. Then there was, if you remember, Wrestling Summit, that the old Japan, New Japan, and WWF, three major company had ran the Tokyo Dome card. Mm-hmm. We talk about it, right? Yeah. It was April of 1990. Yeah, that the main event was Stan against Stan Hansen against Hulk Hogan. Giant Baba and Under the Giant made a tag team for the first time and went you know went up you know beat beat demolition. And Tenru was had a very historical strong single match against Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and such. Two months after that, Tenru left All Japan for real. And you know, March of 1990 formed uh, ill-fated, but uh, 
formed SWS, Super World Sports. That was the very first comp company, that the wrestling company, that was owned by a corporate sponsor. You know, that is a Megane Super at the optical, you know, the Megane company. That uh, they dump millions in Ichioku, Juoku, that uh, just big budget to create new wrestling company. And Tenru was recruited to be the top star and a producer. And after that, Tenru, you know, that, uh, all, all from all Japan, there's, you know, Isao Takagi, the Yatsu, the Great Kabuki, the Shunji Takano, the, uh, about 15 guys left from, from all Japan. It was the first time that the all Japan Pro Wrestling and promoter Jump Up had not storyline program that the crisis, but the wrestlers actually left the company. See, New Japan is like a history of that breaking up and, you know, forming again and coming back and all these Maeda's group, the Choshu's group, the this and that, that uh, that's not that big of a deal for New Japan because that's how they got bigger. But uh, from the beginning of 1972 all the way to 1990, wrestlers never really left. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the Japanese wrestler who was under contract with All Japan Pro Wrestling was like almost like what we call a lifer, you know? Right, right. That, uh, yeah, you will be staying with that company. You may not make main event, but uh, if you be, you know, good employee, I should say, and uh, model, yeah, model employee and being good citizen or whatever that, uh, you, you know, that uh, if you stay safe, you'll be safe, you know, kind of company. Mm -hmm. That made all Japan pro wrestling seem kind of soft out from outside too, because nothing's going to happen. You know, who, you know nobody's going to really leave this company like Choshu would in New Japan, you know, like Maeda would, you know, challenging Antonio Inoki within the company. That the, that kind of thing never happened, you know. Yes, Jump, Jump Baba Jumbo Tsuru single match happened a couple of times, but ja that the that the Jumbo never beat him. What's very interesting, remember, I just told you about the night Tenru pinned Baba with his powerbomb for the first time, one, two, three, that mm -hmm. happened. Jumbo Tsura, I mean, obviously, like the number one guy after Giant Baba, right? Jumbo actually never had any single match win over Giant Baba. Hmm. Interesting. Much like Tatsumi Fujinami never had single match win over Antonio, you know, mm -hmm. it was Choshu. It was Choshu who beat Inoki twice with his clothesline. Hmm. It's a very similar. Jumbo had, you know, opportunity to have a single match in a couple occasions or, or more. That there were a single match against Giant Baba, but Baba always beat him. Very interesting. But he let Tenru beat him one to three in the middle of the ring. Although it was the acting situation, but beating Baba, big deal, right? Hmm. Huge deal. Huge deal, yeah. But uh, Tenru actually, Tenru and his 15 guys actually leaving all Japan was like very new to Baba. That really happened. Mm. Yeah. It was April of 1990 that Tenru suddenly, suddenly quits. Okay. And then following month, May 10th, Tenru forms a new company called SWS. Super World World Sports. 
and uh, a lot of guys joined, and uh, they were uh, had, uh, under the impression that that this, you know, they they have big budget, you know, they have big budget, and uh, that uh, you'll be making a lot of money with this company. And from New Japan side, that uh, Naoki Sano and George Takano and a couple other guys joined, and uh, Greg Kabuki joined. And Akio Sato from America joined to be the international, you know, liaison booker. And soon enough that uh, they signed a deal with WWF and all these WWF superstars at the time start coming to SWS. Anyhow, that uh, that was the same May. To be exact, four days, four days after Tenru made announcement that he's forming a new company called SWS. Four days later, Misawa, then Tiger Mask, he unmasks in the ring. Interesting, he huh? his mask into the crowd. Yeah, that was a big moment. Mm-hmm. Big turning yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's timing, right? Mm. That had to be that day. Yeah, because it's like, wow, it's just like Misawa becoming his own man, and this guy will be very special, new main event guy. I mean, believable, you know. Mm-hmm. Now Tenru's gone, right? That, right, that's right. It had to be Misawa. With the, as a Tiger Mask? No, as himself, Mitsuharu Misawa. He's ready to do this. Then June, the following month, the very first meeting of Misawa, Mitsuharu Misawa without mask in green tight, you know, that the new new Misawa, right? Mm-hmm. Up against then still strong Jumbo Tsura for the first time. Then Misawa beats Jumbo Tsura that night, then Star is Born. That was really the greatest, one of the greatest moments in all Japan history. And yeah. I, I guess bef- right before Misawa would, would win that match, yeah, w- was the feeling in the air among the fans something along the lines of, like, Jumbo was that type of guy, you, you wouldn't be surprised if he won because he always won. And, uh, yeah, yeah, like almost make... like no emotion. Yeah. yeah, it was almost like if it turned out that Jumbo beat Misawa in the end, I think it would have, nothing would have happened. If people would have went home, it would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been what it was just because that's the, that was the feeling, I think, right? The feeling among fans, he was just kind yeah, of... Yeah, then again, everything's timing. That had to be that night that uh, Tenru's gone. And uh, old Japan lost what 10, 15 guys, and they brought in 15 new American guys to fill the card, you know. And that was the time all these, you know, you know the Johnnyist, the Dan Dan Crawford, the Steve Williams, the the, the Doug Furness, the, the all these new regular old Japan American wrestler being brought in, and wow, this is an entirely new crew. Like a new era has begun, instead of like a like being worried about not being able to make it, you know. That the, wow, it's like a brand new old Japan progressing, mm. and Jumbo's still strong, Stan Hansen's still strong, and uh, Terry Goldie, all these guys are still here. And what you need is a like a brand new superstar, and Misawa was a guy, mm-hmm. and yeah, he was ready to do this. And Misa, okay, oh no, Misawa beat Jumbo for the first time and pinned one, two, three. 
then Kobashi and Kawada come in the ring and picked up Misawa and put him up on their shoulder, like a real dramatic ending. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, wow, that for, for that moment, you know, everybody, I think, forgot about Tenru's new company. Yeah. Again, that's uh, that's the Baba's tactic, I guess, is when somebody offers up a big story, a big angle, a big happening, Baba's going to probably outdo it, it seems like. And it's not always just the strategy, it's the timing, like you said. Yeah, but his knowing timing is right. experience. That's yeah. true, too. He knew when to pull the trigger. Yeah, and sure enough, you know, two years later, 1992, this Tenru's SWS went down quick, you know? Right. It went away. And 99, yeah, it was a big firework or something. And that uh, only lasted two years or so, and they went down really. In 19, and the, it, it takes a while for Jan Baba to do things, right? And it took two more years for Misawa, uh, 1992 to be exact. It took two years for, you know, even for Misawa to win the Triple Crown for the first time. Mm. Yeah, another two years, 1992, summer, August, Misawa, you know, being on top for two years. Misawa beats Stan Hansen for the first time in single match situation, the Triple Crown title match. He beats Stan Hansen and becomes Triple Crown champion for the first time two years later. And that was also the year the tag team of Misawa and Kawada won a tag team tournament in December for the first time. Mm. Yeah. But 92, we have to remember this. 92, the Misawa becoming, you know, Triple Crown champion for the first time and winning, you know, December's tag team tournament and all these. But 92 was also the year Jumbo Tsura got sick and sidelined. Ah. And he was never the same after that. That's right. He, he wasn't a main eventer after that. No. The November of 92, Jumbo, you know, announced that he's not competing into this year's, you know, the tag team tournament. Oh, okay. And then and he actually spent next seven months in hospital, you know? And uh, they did, well, wrestling magazine and the Tokyo Sports and even our magazine, we could, you know, pro that. We didn't really interview the doctors, you know? It was like going over Giant Baba and, and Mrs. Baba's, you know, over their head to do, you know, interviewing, you know, actual doctors, right? Mm. So, Whenever and whatever they were announced, you know, like make announcement, like an official announcement from wrestling company, that was a story wrestling magazine wrote. But actual doctors and hospitals and nurses were not interviewed, so we did not really know Jumbo's condition. It mm-hmm. was said hepatitis B or hepatitis C or the complication of this and that, but the only time we share anything was like official news news release from the company how um, you know what i'm saying how else did that affect how you reported it well because there's you have to you know like almost think that uh, if company is not talking about his real condition that they don't want you to know Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and if it's a scandal magazine, like your movie stars or entertainer or a baseball player, I think the reporters go ahead and go interview 
doctors and the hospitals and the, uh, the actual nurses that, that were there sure, and get the real story. But in wrestling community, I guess, <laughs> so professionally trained to kayfabe the world uh, it's in a way. Very unique. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I didn't think about it at the time, you know, and how, how sick Jumbo really was. Mm. But somebody like that and this big elite athlete, you know, sidelined for seven months. And sometimes he's like, you're sick, but you, you're going to be in hospital just one month or so and go home and rest, right? And especially someone like Jumbo, who's he's Jumbo, athlete. He's a big athlete. You, you don't expect yeah. it. Spent next, you know, he, yeah, he wouldn't get out of hospital until June of 93. Hmm. He was in hospital actually for seven months. What was he doing, right? Right. Yeah, so uh, I, we all felt that he's sicker than we were led to believe. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But company never made, you know, big announcement, you know, of his condition. But he did come back the October of that year. You know, as a wrestler, you know, a little skinnier, but uh, that uh, it was at the Budokan, you know, but not a main event, of course not. Baba and Jumbo and Rasha Kimura as a trio went a bit, you know, had a 60, uh, six-man tag team situation against Masafuchi and Haruka Eigen and Jun Izmida, clearly before the intermission, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Jumbo made a comeback, so there was a happy, happy, you know, time. But the Baba, Jumbo, and Russia Kimura, like a senior trio, right? right. Six-man tag team situation. It's more of an appearance than a match. Yeah, they wouldn't do much. That the Baba comes in, does his chopping kicks. Russia Kimura come, come, come in, do his stuff. And Jumbo comes in, say, oh, and does clothesline. That's about it, right? Yeah, everyone cheers. Yeah. Everyone's happy. It's good fan service. Well, of course, oh, good to have him back. But he was never back into the main event picture after that. Yeah. But just uh, timing and uh, is so interesting that just as soon as Misawa, Kawada, and Kobashi and Tawe—they call it pillars now, right? Four big ones, four Top Gun were ready to become big, huge superstar of nineties. Jumbo happened to, you know, just so happened that the Jumbo was ready to retire. You know, realistically, mm. yeah. Timing is interesting, huh? It really. I mean, would you do you think all Japan would have looked the same if Jumbo had stayed in that position for a few more years? Into maybe uh, but then again, the, uh, probably Misawa Jumbo program would have been longer one. Mm. Much like you know, you know Jumbo against Tenru and Tenru, you know, able to able to Jumbo right, and then uh, become its equal, you know. But sure. I think if Jumbo was well and healthy, it took Misawa a little longer to beat him. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because when Misawa was Tiger Mask, Tiger Mask, this Misawa version of Tiger Mask was tag team partner of Jumbo Tsuda, clearly, clearly below, you know? Number two. Like a three, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like in hindsight, timing is like a scary, scary thing. That the, but 
all in all, Jumbo came back as an active wrestler, but was never the same after 93. Yeah. Yeah. And also so that by was the like, time, that's when the younger guys like Misawa, Kobashi, Toshiaki, Kawada, Akira Taue, Akiyama, a little later. Yeah, on. Akiyama, like a rookie Akiyama mm-hmm. as number five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Stan Hansen was still there. There's a, the whole purpose is, was that Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, and Taue will they eventually beat Stan Hansen in single match situation? Mm-hmm. Stan's still standing there. Like the, Stan was always saying that, you know, that uh, Japanese against Japanese in the main event, fine, you know, but that doesn't really uh, deviate the real so- social structures out there. Right. Like in comp- Japanese corporate company structure, you work so hard, work every day until late at night, and you even come in over the weekend, you know, to work, 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 to, you know, to climb your ladder within a company structure or something like a corporate world, right? And if Japanese wrestler and Japanese wrestler, you know, worked against each other uh, in main event, and if it's a forever fix, that it doesn't, deviate uh, from what's happening in the real world what you need what you need in professional wrestling is badass american what he's you know stan Hansen <laughs> says the badass big american gaijin that they can't do they cannot do anything about physically hmm. it's not logic stan Hansen will be standing there i'll beat you beat your ass you cannot do anything about it that's wrestling that makes sense. And it was believable, it was especially believable at that point because, not just because of who he was, not just because of the style, but also because he was kind of that last um, gatekeeper of that, yeah, the last cowboy yeah. of, that, uh, of that era, pre-Heisei era, All Japan, yeah. Jumbo, uh, Tenru, he, Baba. Yeah, right. The, the One by one, they stepped down. Sure, and he yeah. was kind of the last one that could still compete with the faster, younger guys. Yeah, um, and physical. Very, he was usually the more physical in a lot of those <laughs> early 90s matches. He, um, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, the guy... that, they're just, uh, just like a big, huge, badass American that they cannot do anything about physically. Of course, Misawa Kawada, they'll do their style in the ring. They'll kick you in the face. But the under, at, at the end of the day, do you remember the way Stan Hansen was clotheslining like Kawada? Yeah, it's on videotape. Yeah, yeah. or um, I, I I I think it was maybe the 1992 match where towards the end of the match he had with Kobashi, he just he he used the lariat while he was on the top rope and just knocked him right off the top rope, and that was pretty much it. Just, <laughs> I mean, there is no more believable wrestling than that, right? <laughs> it it yeah. came out of nowhere, and uh, it was believable, especially when you know that he's blind without his glasses. Yeah, they're extremely nearsighted. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, it really uh, came through uh, in that match. And it's not amazing in professional wrestling, promo and mic work is so important, but never once Stan did promo or backstage skit or the long interview, you know, to establish his storyline. He just come in and just swing his cowbell 
and go into the ring and take his cowboy boots and uh, you know leather vest and the cowboy attire off and up he goes and just does football tackle, just knock people off. That uh, on April, this you know like heavy looking double knee drop he does and a big like a fat elbow drop he does and he signals audience. With his left arm up, when he fixes, you know that uh, that elbow pad. Here comes his lariat, and he finished the match. And also, he's so old-fashioned that he he does not allow his finish to get kicked out at, at the count of two. Hmm. If it's not to finish the match, he doesn't even use it. Hmm. I mean, something can be learned from that, you know. Even today, you know, you don't, you know, want let guy kick out from your rainmaker or something right hmm. yeah protecting so Stan, signature moves oh definitely definitely and stan hansen was more baba student than any anybody for that matter yeah so tenru's you know tenru quit and the jumbo got sick and misawa and his group of you know the, the whole new generation of superstar elevated to be the superstar of the old Japan, and Stan Hansen was still there, standing strong, which was very good though. And from by having Stan Hansen, if you remember, uh, end of the year tag team, you know, real world tag team tournament, Stan Hansen, you know, initially had you know Bruce Brody as his partner in the early eighties. He went to New Japan, then came back, but he was never the tag team partner again. Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy as a partner, Stan Hansen and Danny Spivey, Stan Hansen and Johnny Ace, Stan Hansen and Ve- uh, Gary Albright, and Stan, oh, there was a Tenru and Stan, and there was a tag team of Stan Hansen and Kawada, if you remember, mm-hmm. one year. And at the end of the 90s, Stan Hansen took up Vader as his official partner and participated in the very uh, end of the you know end of the century 1999 tag team tournament vader stan hansen against kobashi and akiyama and it was a night kobashi pinned stan hansen with his right arm lariat mm. huge one yeah the, the reason i'm talking about was that oh 1998 i said 1998 december 5th was Jan Baba's very fi- final wrestling match in his life. Baba, Russia Kimura, and Mitsuo Momota and against Masafuchi and uh, Kikuchi and Eigen Haruka. Of course, his spot that, the, you know, is designated six-man tag team situation, but the Baba worked that night, and that was his final match uh, of life. And What's interesting is though, 1998, 1998 was the year both Antonio Inoki and Jan Baba had their final match. April 4th of 1998, Inoki had his big, huge retirement, you know, big spectacular at the Tokyo Dome. He had a match against Don Fry, a match against Sting, Match against Gerald Goldo, that uh, that uh, Dutch karate guy, but 
So he did the American wrestling, he did the MMA, and he did this and that. And Inoki finished his 38th career in April of 1998. Interesting enough that 1998, six months later, was the year Giant Baba also had his final match. So they both started 1960, September of 1960, same day, same day debut. They, Inoki and Baba both had 38 career all the way to 98 and both had their final match that year. This is, this is a destiny or fate or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know what other words to use because they're so tied together from, you know, I don't know if it's just chance, if it's, if it's supposed to be that way, but it's also interesting to think about uh, Inoki after Baba had passed away because 20 or probably more years after uh, Baba, yeah, Baba passed passing, away, yeah, he, yeah, Inoki's not active, too. yeah, right, because Inoki was never active, you know, active wrestler again, but he never left the public eyes, that's right, yeah, and he had influence, he was in part, yeah, yeah, he was part of the pride, Inoki Bomae, that the MMA that he ran the public office one more time, that he was in movies, he was this, that. Right. Antonio Inoki kept being Antonio Inoki for the next, next two decades. And this January of 1999, Baba passed away at the age of 61. Yeah. 98 was also the year that the All Japan solo, uh, you know, for the first time, they held the Tokyo Dome show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you see, way back in 89, when Tokyo Dome opened, New Japan was the first one to be holding the big, huge spectacular at the Tokyo Dome, right? And Baba was not interested in that. And Baba said, it's Tokyo Dome. It's too big for wrestling. I mean, people is watching wrestling from that far away. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, he'd better, you know, he'd much rather run five Budokan shows instead. But somewhat, somehow, in 1998, May, that uh, John Baba decided to have his first uh, uh, All Japan Tokyo Dome show. Yeah. And uh, I guess something, you know, must have changed because that was around the time he brought Hayabusa in, he brought Shinzaki in, he brought, you know, Yoshihiro Takayama in, and, uh, you know, bringing all the Hase, Hiroshi Hase, uh, joined All Japan and all these things. And he really opened the door to a lot of new things at the time in his final year yeah yeah and, but the baba passed away january of 1999 and that year may 2nd they held tokyo dome show for baba's retirement show without baba but they put baba's ring boots in the middle of the ring with you know mrs baba and the destroyer dick buyer uh, Gene Kniski, his rival, all these people came in. He did the retirement ceremony at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, the regular show, of course, but uh, mainly it was Tokyo Dome show, but the Baba's retirement ceremony at Tokyo Dome. Yeah. And that was the time that uh, Jumbo Tsuda decided to retire altogether. So it's like Baba and Jumbo left altogether. End of an era. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Stan and one year they, soon uh, after too. Uh yeah, two thousand. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Because that was a time, right? Stan Hansen had been thinking about it for quite, you know, quite some time. 
but you know that uh but uh, not to interfere above a ceremony or any jumbo ceremony that they would be there another year or so and year 2000 comes that uh, that was the time Stan Hansen put his hat yeah so uh, that 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 time 22 years ago it really felt like the boundary line or like a a marker for end of 20th yeah 20th century and uh, they all left before 21st century huh and it really felt it really felt like um it didn't feel like all Japan was dead, but it felt like that version of all Japan could never come back. Yeah, like a Star Wars movie or something, something like that. Yeah, the end of the yeah. trilogy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. And uh, the, the, still had the same character after, but the Baba's, you know, gone and Jumbo, Jumbo died the following year. You know, two thousand right. May of two thousand. Yeah, at the age of forty-seven. So. Retiring is one thing, but uh, being actually gone, you know, Baba's gone, Jumbo's gone, you know, and now that, uh, yeah, fast forward about nine years that the Misawa is gone, right? Yeah, that's right. When you think about the, the 50 year history of all Japan pro wrestling, they didn't have all that many real main events. Start Jan Baba, right? Mm -hmm. Jumbo and Tenru, then Misawa. Baba's gone, Jumbo's gone, Misawa's gone. You know, Mrs. Baba's gone. Uh, you know, the senior referee, Joe Higuchi gone. The, you know, Russia Kimura. The, yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of people are and no Kobashi longer with would, us. He would uh, kind of disappear early for a little bit too. Oh, because well documented, but he actually had cancer and had a major surgery. You know, it was a miracle that he made come back, you know. But uh, it was it never was the at, same again, though. Never the same, but it was at the same time around this whole period where, like you're saying, who's around, who's left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Baba's people went to heaven. <laughs> you know, okay. they were here, but left early kind of thing. Mm. See, Anthony Inoki, Tatsumi Fujinami, Riki Choshu, Akira Maeda, everybody, they retired, but they're still around, which is mm. good. Some are still know? wrestling. Oh, Fujinami, Fujiwara. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for that matter. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Baba's people, for some reason, all these dudes, the Dick Buyer Destroyer, Bruno San Martino, you know? Yeah. So it's like, Wow, they went up to heaven or something. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it, and I want to ask from your perspective, when Baba passed away, it was also, it wasn't just within the wrestling community. There was, uh, Baba had a oh, it was all over cultural the, influence in Japan Regular too. television, regular television and news. I mean, real evening news. And uh, regular newspapers and, and the weekly magazines, you know, uh, they all cover the story. They all cover the story, like uh, the hero from Showa era. Mm -hmm. And uh, when black and white TV became color TV, uh, Giant Baba was a star. And also he was in more TV commercial than, than let's say, Noki or more of a caliber of your Babe Ruth-like 
baseball player type of superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Household name. Yeah, yeah. And never had a bad story in 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 you know in the media, like a gossip magazines, you know, like a, you know, some of the you know, sometimes you know your you know, Hollywood uh, celebrity or sports celebrity type have what the what the real estate scam or yeah, this and that. And, yeah, yeah, those yeah, that they'll pop up, right? Mm-hmm. For Baba, he never once had dirty story stuff. Never once. No, he was always That's very hard, huh? dignified. Very dignified. Like king almost. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And distant. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was um, hard to do interview. Oh, but uh, Mrs. Baba was so protective, you know, that uh, he just, you know, all the, you know, like an interview application and all these things. He, Mrs. Baba was the one reading through everything, every little, you know, he, that the letters and emails, uh, not so much then, but the, all the applications for interviews or the, the phone calls that he, she, Listen to it, and she was the one, yeah, yeah, that the keeping the gate, yeah, mm. yeah, and also it's so rare in wrestling uh, business within wrestling business that uh, he, there were even uh, one rumor about this, you know, mafia yakuza involvement in in professional the, the selling shows or you know all these things that, there were, that everything was so kept you know, under control with Baba. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, it, it felt like uh, you could bring your family to it and wouldn't feel as like... Uh, Dirty something? Yes, sle- <laughs> yeah. not sleazy, but um, as, not as dangerous, maybe. Yeah, but the, John Baba was the first one to know that the, about this stigma in wrestling business, you know? It, it's not as high class as your like a major league baseball sure. or you know take me out to bay you know ball games or you know go to wholesome family movie disney movie yeah, it's wrestling but uh wrestling isn't all that bad it was just about where he stood you know yeah uh, i think i think the way he presented it was in line with how in general sam much next nwa wanted it in theory to be presented as a wholesome you know family what will become television from the 80s and yeah yeah and also wrestling is something that they always around always been around yeah take your grand your grandpa and grandma will you know take you to your first wrestling match sure sure (laughs) yeah something like that yeah yeah so that the baba uh inherited that legacy part of that wrestling business and it was interesting that, that he was so NWA, but he was the first one to leave this, you know, like uh, AWA myth. Mm-hmm. And so this, yeah, so th- that the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, this, this, uh, I mean, not believing it anymore, you know, and uh, disillusioned, I guess. Yeah. Is a word. Yeah. Disillusioned. And, uh, yeah, then he created Triple Crown instead because this, you know, means a lot more to Japanese wrestling fans and wrestling community. These are the actual belts that's been used for decades and decades, physical belts, that we still have that. And that's as big as or more as just as important as any world heavyweight championship in the world 
or in interesting history. And actually, when you think about it, that's really true. Yeah. And they were using these three different physical championship belts up until, what, five, six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and to now in one belt. Now it's right, right, one belt. But the name Triple Crown in All Japan Pro Wrestling. And I think Kento Miyahara today is very good champion. Yeah. I think he'll be around for a long while. And I also think that a lot of the new roster has a lot of, I guess you could call them Baba type guys. Like, <laughs> like a Shuji Ishikawa? Exactly. Suama? Yeah. Suama. Oh, yeah. They were Big like, a, yeah, more like a Baba and Jumbo style. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think yeah. uh, also the, the Wrestle One, the guys they inherited from that, like Koji Doi and Kumarashi. Oh, and sure. And Jake Lee. Jake yeah. Lee, another yeah, big, tall guy. Cool guy. Yeah. yeah. So they, they have a, I, I, they're, they're definitely a heavyweight, heavy promotion, if you like um, modern right. heavyweight wrestling, which is in a lot of ways what All Japan has always tried yeah, to and then sort of. None, none of them have fancy, fancy multicolor costume like New Japan guys do. Yeah. Maybe like Kento Miyahara, maybe those guys, the young guys do. Uh, yeah, but not not many, not many. You know, not many, they no. all have short trunks. It's pretty, yeah, uh, con uh, not conservative, but you know, uh, nothing yeah, too flashy. Yeah, conservative is fine. Yeah, yeah, and doing, you know, no frill, believable professional wrestling mm -hmm. today, mixed in with some some comedy, uh, early opener kind of right. Matches. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. It's because that the, the, we talk about that a lot that the wrestling fans and audience will be sitting in the same spot the entire night you mm -hmm. know yeah we'll be you know seated in a certain seat and you'll be sitting there all day right i mean all night the first match should be presented like a first match in the second match situation and rookie situation and the veteran situation and the small guy you know and a fat guy situation and somewhat comedy 16 you know i mean six man tag team situation then the match, you know, progresses, and then the serious one comes out, you know? Yeah. So that's like a, what Terry Funk would say, enjoy the good night of wrestling. Mm. Yeah. So you that's still there. Variety, yeah, yeah. And it is still there, yeah. There's a variety, eclectic kind of mix of silly yeah, uh, kind of... wrestling or, or uh, maybe more American-style wrestling, especially with Tajiri. And wrestling is so interesting that the, when you don't have intermission, you never do this in movies, but uh, in wrestling, you stand up in the middle of the card, in the middle of the match, go to concession and buy yourself another cup of soda and hot dog and came, come back in the middle of the match. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Or maybe I mean, buy merchandise. From the wrestlers and and come back in the middle of some match mm -hmm. or new towel or during or during the match you can talk to somebody you know sitting next to you you know uh, if it's not too loud you know in the movie you go shh, shh, shh. You know, sure you're not supposed to be talking you know but in wrestling you make friends you know i mean yeah, you'd be talking to to yeah you'd be talking to total stranger who's sitting right next to him he's like hey uh that must hurt something like that right because especially if it's good if it, if wrestling is really good you always immediately want to have somebody to talk to about it you want to yeah they share it right yeah you're like wow did, did you see, see that? that did you yeah do you did understand you see that? did i see the same thing you did and i think <laughs> yeah. that's 
what really important. Are you feeling what, what I'm feeling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that is so important. That and is so important. To see if it's matching. Because sometimes it is and sometimes it's totally not. It's sometimes it's it, it's oh, interesting what might, connects and you what You might doesn't. miss something or this guy right next to you might might have missed, you know? Sure, so, yeah. It depends on your perspective yeah. or how where you were sitting yeah. or, or what you were doing. Right. But uh, if it's Misawa, if it's Kobashi, if it's Stan Hansen, you know, what you're seeing, you want to share it with, with somebody right away. Mm. Ah, wow. That's a good one. Especially those big moments, like you talked about earlier with Misawa beating Jumbo. Or Stan Hansen clotheslining somebody <laughs> for the night. Yeah, knocking them out. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. got to be it, you know? And, you know, I, I wanted to quickly talk about the, um, when we listen to All Japan, when we, when we see clips on YouTube or whatever, we, we often hear the, the Nippon TV sports theme or athletic theme, whatever it's called. Yes. And I mean, of course, that's associated with Baba and All Japan, but I think people should also realize that a lot of people in Japan know that tune just from, um, you know, it's kind of the sports day um, theme song, you know, at school. Yeah, Channel 4. Channel 4 song. The Channel yeah, 4 like song. A mar- yeah. yeah, marathon or Olympic or ski jump and stuff like that, right? Yeah, you, you, yeah. you don't hear it in just wrestling, although we hear it a lot with All Japan, but right. it, it, it's some, it's like a, it's a jingle that you hear in lots and lots of sports <laughs> TV. Yeah, right. And, oh, because um, it's a giant, I mean, baseball team, Giants team too. I mean, not sure. the theme, but the Channel 4, yeah, when that come out, yeah. Which is also, it's kind of funny because Giant Baba was one of the Giants and went on to represent both. So, right, right. So that, I think there's, that has a deeper connection with him than uh, uh, other objects that it, it kind of is background music for uh, all yeah. throughout different aspects. It's, of life. Now it's been 23 years since his passing, his Giant wow. Baba's passing. 23 years, yeah. And I think today's, today's wrestling fans haven't seen his, you know, or obviously haven't seen, you know, his important matches or, or know the name but never really seen his matches even on, on, on YouTube, you know. So I think it's our role at least to talk about Jan Baba like this and pass his legacy down as an like an understanding of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't not just, the, not, him not as just a his, his Right, the promoter and that really made one of the people uh, who made wrestling what it is today. Mm-hmm. Shaped it. Yeah. He really did. Oh, very shape. influential. Not just Rick Dozan, but bo- of course, both Jan Baba and Anthony Inoki, but in conservative ways and in, in the believable way. Giant Baba did that for wrestling business away from Antonioki, but Antonioki did that for Antonioki most of the time, right? Mm. But I think Giant Baba was there that the All Japan, Pro Wrestling, Giant Baba, all in one, as the same, you know, like, like as it is. And he stepped down from main event position early enough, you know? But never retired. Yeah, so that was a different approach. Yeah, and it's still a, 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 an approach a lot of different promotions model 
themselves after. It's still looked at, it's still uh, kind of the norm. It's a, it's a standard for the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that uh, that's it for Giant Baba uh, series. And we have how many episodes? We have four episodes, and today's episode covers 23 years past Baba's passing. <laughs> so it shows how yeah. influential he is. Yes. All right. Well, I'll do a legacy, you know, series with someone else. But uh, I think soon or next episode we have to talk about women's wrestling in Japan now. Huh? Now that the women's wrestling, especially stardom, is so popular worldwide right now. But uh, when you talk about women's wrestling, yeah, WWE has women's division that are pretty big, and there every company in America have women's divisions. And Joshi Pro Wrestling, uh, women's wrestling in Japan, also uh, it's as a, almost like an, another culture, you know. And uh, how it, Joshi, how this Japanese women's pro wrestling has developed and evolved, and its history and style and t- type of style they produced. And we, yeah, we should cover this, uh, yeah, uh, like slowly, but. Uh, in length yeah we, and we can use um events like dream slam as uh talking points too because there's lots to talk about from that era that time and and like you but, said I mean, tokyo dome at tokyo dome yeah i think that's one of the yeah. most famous uh but it, it's also yeah, not but scratching the, that the was surface a... on on joshi history joshi history oh it goes all the way back to like a 1947, 1951, seriously. And uh, Mildred Bark mm-hmm. yeah, planted the seed in women's wrestling. Because Ricky Dozen resented women's wrestling, there was like women's matches were never part of men's show. You know, much like, you know, like a fabulous Muller uh, had one match in men's show, right? Mm-hmm. You know, therefore, you never needed that many women's wrestlers, you know. But, uh, women's wrestling in Japan, Joshi wrestling in Japan, always have been that separate from men's wrestling group. They always had women's group and women's wrestlers and women's show separate from men's wrestling and had a different, completely different kind of evolution and star system and its history. It's a different saga, I think. And uh, yeah, uh, we could talk about it forever though, (laughs) actually. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's almost viewed as not just as a genre of wrestling, but a genre of, of entertainment itself, especially of course, with the of combination course. of music. Yeah, Maha Fumiyake to Beauty Pair, yeah, before Crash Girls and all, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Idol culture and, is a big part of it. Sure, too. and Japanese kawaii pop idols, yeah, that mm-hmm. had that, yeah. Yeah, of course. We didn't get that the men's side. I mean, we had the Terry Funk album and everything, but I, I don't think it was quite <laughs> yeah. the same. So, yeah. So we'll talk about we'll start talking about that next time. Of course. And, uh, okay. I hope that. Uh, oh, well, still we can take questions on Baba and we'll answer that next time. But I think this was uh, our final episode of Giant Baba History. Yeah, if there's anything that we missed out on or, or didn't cover or, or, or you the people, questions yeah, about. The thing people yeah, wanted to ask questions, we'll, we'll still be answering. 
Because there's yeah. a, there is a lot more out there, and especially after Baba passed away in the, in the beginning of pro wrestling, Noah. I mean, that's an entire. That's a oh god, that's a you story. can write a book about it. And there's a book written about it, so yeah. But uh, a lot of the same characters, so um, yeah. We'll just keep following along and listening. We'll, we'll we'll get there eventually. But how can people reach you, Fumi, on social media? On Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O. Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter or Fumisairo on Twitter, uh, Facebook. Actually, I'm on Instagram, but I don't post a lot of things on there. You know, I, I usually I'm, I'm on Facebook a lot. Okay? So send me requests to be friends with notes. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Um, that's it for the Giant Baba series, part four. That's it. So we'll come at you next week with Lots of Joshi Pro New series. history. New yeah. series, that's right. So, Fumi, take it away for now. So long from Tokyo. Thank you.